At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Lynn Pugh of Cane Creek Farm to talk about her experience with agricultural education. Lynn Pugh is the farmer at Cane Creek Farm in North Georgia. She has been sharing what she has learned in organic farming classes at her farm since 2007. She teaches adults from a curriculum she developed for Georgia Organics, introduces children to agriculture through farm camps, and hosts a Lunch and Learn series on a variety of topics related to food, farming, and gardening. Many alumni of her classes are farming and gardening organically across the Southeast. Her background as a chemistry teacher and high school education degrees in plant pathology and science curriculum give her a good foundation for establishing an agricultural education program. Welcome to the show today, Lynn. So glad to be here with you, Greg. And thank you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Yes, I'd be glad to. The The path was certainly not um, clearly laid out before me. I had no idea that this is what I would be doing at this time. <laughs> and that's always I, uh, nice. I never knew exactly what I wanted to do. I um, enjoyed the outside, and uh-huh. when I went to college, I really liked science and majored in chemistry, I mean, biology and chemistry. Uh-huh. And then um, when I went to find a job, I just I just ended up with a teaching job and a local college mm-hmm. and eventually went on and got started teaching in high school and was teaching science so I loved it because I love science and I found that I like to teach but eventually I wanted to do something different and but looking back you know I, I had always been gardening and I thought you know I want to be outside so I need a job where I can be outside every day nice. and be more active than I had been as a teacher and I also kind of crave to have more time alone. You know, mm. as a teacher, you're never alone. Oh, that's the <laughs> or case. Don't feel like it. That is the case. So, yep. So I eventually came up with a farming, and it's been it's been wonderful. I mean, eventually I started. There's there's more to it, of course, than that. But um, I had the degrees that kind of gave me a, a background and the mm-hmm. science of it, and then. A lot of it I learned by doing and learned by going to workshops and conferences and things like that. Um, we already had some land. We mm-hmm. had bought the land 15 years before I started farming. Oh, wow. And the idea that we would become more self-sufficient. We right. built a log house. and But then I just continued teaching. And um, 
wanted to get out and use it. We had a tractor and we had some equipment. So going to a farm wasn't too hard. I mean, I had the land. I had some ways to till it up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just started doing it. Just started doing it. So how many acres do you have? We have about 17 acres. And there is a, out from town. We live near Cumming, Georgia, which is not a big, big city, but it, uh-huh. I mean, it used to be very small. It's actually in a very fast-growing area, so it is becoming bigger. But we live about 10 miles out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, suburbia, pretty much. Nice. About 40 miles north of Atlanta. Uh-huh. Um, so it's turned out that this, this county is my market. I thought it would be Atlanta, but... Um, it really hasn't been. Mm-hmm. As it as things have developed, I've been enclosed by subdivisions. Oh, right. Um, we have subdivisions on three sides, and mm-hmm. the last side, they're starting one now. Oh, wow. So you're completely boxed in. Yes, in a way. But, you know, with 17 <laughs> acres, you don't feel it too much. Right. And some of the, the road coming up to my house has like five and six acre track houses. So... It's not it's not so bad, but just the traffic all around us is getting worse as they build these subdivisions oh, with yeah. quarter acre, third acre mm-hmm. lots. But we just try to take that as um, <laughs> opportunity for more people to learn about farming. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and they can farm in their front and backyards. That's right. Yeah, that's right. One of the farms I take them to with my class is exactly that. It's a former friend of mine, and he. He has a farm in his front yard, and it's not a big front yard. Right. And he, he supports a CSA of 20 people in nice. that front yard. Isn't that amazing? So you, you use the term CSA. All of our listeners might not know what that means. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it's a concept that started in Japan. Oh, wow. Um, a uh, good many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, spread to Europe and then over to the Northeast. I think the first one in the United States was in Massachusetts. And their idea was that a community of people actually hired a farmer to grow their food. It's kind of morphed in the United States. It's become more of a subscription thing uh-huh. where a community of people subscribe to a farm. Right. And they pay for their subscription ahead of time, and then they come get their uh, vegetables every week. Oftentimes, that's at a drop site closer to them. Right. Um, in my case, most of my customers come to my farm and pick up their vegetables Oh, here. very good. So you're doing a CSA? Yes, I do a CSA. And w- so it's um, we're recording this. It's mid-March, uh, and you're down south. So what are you putting in your CSA box this week? Well, I don't have one year-round. Oh, I right. go from April, the first week of April to the um, second week of December. Oh, very good. So what are you planting now? What are you planting now well, to go in the box? We are planting up a storm here. <laughs> <laughs> we um, put in broccoli and cabbage today, and we've got, I think, we put it, tomatoes in the hoop house and lettuce, and we seeded peas, uh, potatoes, leeks are going in. Oh, so nice. So it's, it's a busy time with a lot of stuff going oh, in. Oh, I'm sure. Well, th- thank you for taking some time out to chat with us today. Oh, I'm so delighted. So I've got a question for you. You had okay. no experience or background in farming. What well, what brought you to start an organic farm? I mean, you I, I you mentioned it a little bit a little earlier, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. Well, the organic part 
is because of uh, essentially an, uh, a class I took in college, an environmental class, where mm-hmm. I, I was just awakened to what we had been doing to our land. Oh my gosh! And yes. um, you know, read Rachel Carson, and mm-hmm. it just it just came out. You know, I just really saw the light as to how wrong that was uh-huh. and how self how selfish, how short sighted, mm-hmm. and um, so. Ever since that time, I had, and so essentially since I was an adult, I have been gardening organically uh-huh. and doing it w- and looking out for ways to promote that. So that part was like a given. If I was going to grow, it was going to be organically. Uh-huh. And it was beginning to get some traction then. Um, the organic movement was, it, that was in late 90s when I started all of this. So that part was like I knew that I would do that. The part about actually growing here on my property uh-huh. just kind of came to me hmm. slowly. You know that that's really what I wanted to do. It was a little scary. I mean, the whole part of having your own business. I mean, as a teacher, I didn't know anything about business. Oh yes, and had no background. Mm-hmm. And that part was and still is intimidating sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. The the growing part was just exciting, right? And so it's been really exciting to learn how to grow on the kind of scale that you have to. I mean, not that I'm big, but when I'm feeding, you know, anywhere from fifty to a hundred families, it's it's pretty big. That's a pretty nice size um, CSA. Congratulations on that. Yeah, it. It is, it is always a challenge, but it is always a lot of fun too. Right. So, what brought you? to teaching organic farming. I, I know your teaching background and now you have this um, uh, organic farm you're running. How did that connection get made? Well, when I first started te- uh, started the farm, mm-hmm. I, it was maybe a couple of years after, I was a member of George Organics and going to their workshops and they had an opening for someone to um, develop a marketing project through a grant they had. And I... I Applied for the job and got it. It's a mm-hmm. part-time job. Wow, congratulations. And, um, I got to interview a lot of farmers oh, and nice. work with them, ag professionals, and put together this project that helped farmers figure out how to market. Uh-huh. But in the process, I got to see a lot of people, and it really helped me develop my farm and figure out my vision. I had never heard of CSA when I started that. Right. And so I said, oh, well, that's exactly what I want to do because I'm not much of a farmer's market person. Mm-hmm. And this was right up my alley. So anyway, that project led me into another project that I did for GEO um, to develop a curriculum. They had gotten a grant to develop an organic growing curriculum for high school ag students. Oh, nice. And I had they had had some problems, you know, getting that rolling, as sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. So since I had been successful with that other project, they um, turned this project over to me. And it was it was very interesting. I did not actually write the curriculum, but I kind of facilitated everything. And I uh-huh. wrote all the objectives and I oh, did right. the summaries and all, you know, all the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, after doing all that work, and, and we came up with some other ideas for videos and, you know, farm tours and things that really made it, I thought, a very good curriculum. It went on the CD that went out to all the ag teachers in the state as part oh, of their curriculum. Nice, they could choose. yeah. And it was a, it was a wonderful project. 
I found that I wanted to know how it went. You know, this is really one of my interests is curriculum development. So I really wanted to know if it worked, mm-hmm. if the students used it, if the you know how the I mean, had the teachers used it, if the students responded and such. So I tried to get feedback from teachers, and it was it was hard to get. It turns out they were using it in bits and pieces, right? Um, that makes to supplement what they already were doing, right? Which is fine, but that's not exactly what I wanted to know. So I just decided I would teach it myself and offer it to adults because uh-huh. it was it was it was perfectly fine for adults. It uh-huh. was not you know a watered down version or anything. And um, that first time I offered it, I had a wonderful group of people, and we just we had so much fun hmm. together. And we learned from each other, uh-huh. and we went and visited farms, and they worked here on the farm, and um, we really bonded as a community. And it was such an upper. I said, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> you know, this that's, is just good for everybody. Yeah, that's magic. It is. That's magic. It is. So tell us about your class. So it's it's in person. Well, uh, it has been for, for 10 years now. It's uh-huh. been uh, every other Saturday. And I usually start it in late January and then have one in the winter and then one in the fall. Uh-huh. Start it in late January and... It usually runs through April, mm. so you get to see the season develop. Right. It was every other Saturday, so the, it was it allowed people to have time to go do something else on the weekend yep. besides this every time. And me too. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an all day. It, so we spent the mornings and discussions and you know lecture kind of stuff, info transfer and and questions, lots of questions, and then. In the afternoon, we went out on the farm. And, and, got, and got your hands dirty? And got our hands dirty. Nice. Yep. And, you know, depending on the group, I would plan activities, and we would rotate. They would work in teams and mm-hmm. rotate around to different projects. And sometimes, if it was a small class, we would all just, you know, go from project to project. You know, trying not to give them overwhelmed with any one thing, right. but to have them have an experience of several different projects or task or whatever you want to call it during the the um, afternoon mm-hmm. and you know when people work together they bond mm, they, absolutely. they talk to each other yeah absolutely you know, and they're here because they have a common interest so they talk about it and um that has been just really really rewarding i had um one um class where i had two people in it very different people and after the class, I didn't know this right away, but I found out later, and they invited me to their farm. They had, the woman owned the farm, uh, uh, old, not old, but older, mm-hmm. Filipino woman owned uh-huh. the farm, and there was a young African-American guy that had been working in Atlanta on different urban farms, and that they got together, and he started working with her on her farm, and now they're partners on that farm, and it is just doing wonderful nice. so they met through the class wow really yeah how cool is that so this, that actually kind of leads into my next question and that's the greatest contribution your farming classes have added to the local good food movement so that was one well, cool thing yes um, I think that the the source of information you know just giving mm-hmm. people what they need to know to get started and the other is the inspiration to do it yeah. Um, going to visit this farm I was talking about that was in that's in his front yard. Mm-hmm. They say, "Oh, I have a front yard." <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, may, maybe I could do more. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so we, that's probably the very best thing. The connection, the networking opportunity. Oh, yes. You know, those that I just was talking about. And then the CSA uh, introduces people to new foods and the whole, the taste palette of fresh food oh. that a lot of people have never had before. Right. So that's kind of exciting. And the health benefits. Yeah. I have one one member who just will just go up and down about how it has changed mm. her husband's life yeah. because the new the eating this food and helped him to lose weight and get his his health back into the back to where it needed to be yeah and so, then of course as the kids we do have a, a farm camp oh nice oh yes I, I remember that from your bio yeah. tell us about the farm camp that's got to be a hoot oh it's it's it's, it's so much fun too uh, of course a lot of work but it, yeah I, I don't do the farm camp. I, I taught high school and college mm-hmm. kids, and I don't go much lower than that with how to manage them. Mm-hmm. So I have I did try it one year, and it was not a <laughs> flaming success. Um, it was The kids had a great time, uh-huh. but I felt pretty inadequate. So I've had other people, other teachers who are much more gifted at, to teach it, and I just participate. You know, I help the kids with oh, some of the nice, farm tasks. Yes. But they, you know, they do all kind of things, and we have we always harvest stuff and then fix it for snack. And uh-huh. um, they go and capture insects, and they look in the creek and wait in the creek, of course. Yeah. And um, they do some weeding and they do some all kind of things, but they have a good time too. What What is the biggest takeaway for okay. young people going through your classes? Well, I think for kids, it's connection with nature. Mm, and mm-hmm. that might be the same thing for adults. I'm not sure. It might be that. Very well could be. And just because being here on the farm is so different for, from where most of them live. Oh, yeah. Their first comment is it's so peaceful. Mm-hmm. And it's so quiet, except when the lambs are making a big fuss. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's that getting your hands in the dirt watching a seed that you put in the ground germinate and come up yeah. and then the flower and the fruit just those natural processes that we're paying attention to mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they see it and they've been walking past it for years right and I found that if kids grow it they'll eat it no matter what that's right, you that's know, right. so plugging that in for them Mm-hmm. So do you have one persistent challenge you face? Yes. The persistent challenge is too much to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, my, I, have uh, a pretty, I have a pretty diverse operation here. Yeah. And when you have a diverse operation, uh-huh. there are so many things to do all the time. Yeah. And it's small, so it's not like a lot of people that work for me or anything, yep. so I'm pretty much it. So I sometimes feel pulled here and there yeah. and can't even focus because I'm jumping from one thing to the other. Yeah. So right. I've, I'm learning, learning to deal with that mm-hmm. by helping, getting people to help me yeah. and realizing what I can do and what I do not do as well. As, as well. Others. Oh, such value in, in that. Absolutely. It's, it uh, is, and you hear it, but to actually do it is a little harder. Yeah, exactly. It's mid-March when we're recording this, and um, it's 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon, and I have I can hear the chickens in the background, and, and as soon as we're done, I'm heading to the yard. So 
uh-huh. because I want to yeah. unplug from the technology and go, you know, go get my hands dirty. I'm probably going to build a compost pile this afternoon. Oh, wow. So You've I, got your... You got a lot of big projects there. Yeah. yeah, so I I hear you when you say that you know always so much to do. Right. Always so it's much. It's really to do. also gotten so I can't do a lot of it physically. I'm just getting older. And oh yeah. I mean, when I started, I was ten years younger or fifteen years younger. <laughs> yeah. And now it's just harder to do. So I have to um, recognize my limits. Right. As I say, I can still do everything I used to do. I just can't do it very long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Not very long at all. So I'm going to shift a little bit on you, and I want to talk about a time you failed and how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Well, one of the failures was the one I talked about earlier with the farm camp. And oh, yeah. That, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't like the farm camp was a failure, but I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And that I just don't know how to manage elementary age kid. kid. Mm. It seemed like every time I didn't have something specific for them to do, they ran wild and started hitting each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just didn't know how to handle that. So, I mean, I've already said what I did was I hired somebody else to help me with it. There have been times like one of the things that I have found that is I have the most difficulty with is marketing. Mm. Um, yeah. I I have a hard time marketing myself and marketing the farm. It just doesn't come natural to me. Yeah. And I struggle with that because that affects everything. If you don't oh, yeah. have the customers you need to support what you're trying to do. Right. Um, and, you know, I have done different things. I have gotten much better at it. I mm-hmm. have learned about it and I have gotten more comfortable. I'm still not really good I don't really have a good elevator speech or any of that other stuff yeah. they tell you and I'm, I'm not one to just I, I'm not as outgoing to be able to just strike up a conversation mm-hmm. and promote the farm Yeah. so this year I actually had hired somebody to do some marketing for me and oh nice I've been, I've been amazed she's a CSA member and somebody's, somebody oh, I knew of course somebody you're plugged into already yeah I mean that's how most of Everything that happens around here usually <laughs> happens because of somebody that I already know because yeah. they're a member of the CSA or a mm-hmm. class member. You know, I have somebody right now doing some work on my basement when he was a class student, you know, a while oh, yeah. back. So, you know, the community just kind of builds. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let me let me share with something with you. And this is specifically for you, but I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it, too. And that's that when I, uh, so I too have a little bit of trouble marketing. And what I got about, I don't know, three or four months ago, I got the deep, deep life-changing value that people can take away from our courses. Mm-hmm. And that's where I share from. I share uh-huh. from, and th- this can be for, you know, for us, obviously for farming, but anybody else out there listening, if you can get really, really clear about the deep value, the life-changing value that you're, you know, that, that you have, that what you're offering has for people, mm-hmm. it makes marketing so much easier. You're right. It makes you're marketing right. so much easier. Yeah. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think the biggest success for our farm is community development. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I really believe in developing community. So in everything I do, from the CSA to the classes to field trips to my workers, I 
do everything I can to develop community, to develop those people that are working with me, and to be sensitive and respectful of them and their needs and uh-huh. try to, you know, be generous with what I can give them. Mm-hmm. And I always find that they're so generous with what they give back. Mm. How nice is that? Perfect. And what Well, dr- it makes for a very pleasant place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what drives you? I guess the love of nature, mm-hmm. the love of growing. I mean, I really do have a strong love of growing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it comes. It, that is part of my um, my spiritual background, uh-huh. and also just uh, who I am. That I feel that there's such a miracle there, and I want to be part of it. Uh-huh. I want to be part of that, and so that is the why I keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it always is hard. It's there are times when it's hard and it's not fun. And it's, <laughs> Is oh yeah. Un- you know, I don't really want to. I don't really want to do this, but I don't want it undone. Right. So I will go do it so that later it will be good. Yeah. So how does your work that you do move along toward the future you envision? I think that the work we do, both in producing food and in teaching about producing food, help people to get comfortable and confident. Mm-hmm. in their ability to know good food and to mm-hmm. be able to grow it. Mm-hmm. And t- I think that is basic knowledge that we're losing, and more people need to know that. Yeah. And that, if people grow their own food, they will start to recognize what good food tastes like. Yeah. And then if they recognize what good food tastes like and they want more of that, they care a little bit more mm-hmm. about how the land's treated yeah because that's where you grow good food mm-hmm. and then as people care about how the land is treated they're more interested in the people who are making the rules about how the land is treated oh yes and i think it's just like a circle or a spiral maybe mm-hmm. and so my little part is pretty small at the very bottom but it's starting people on that awareness journey yeah that this matters you know this is how they eat matters yeah and it's part of this, what we hope will be a future where more people will care about this and there will be more attention and paid to our environment. Yeah. What is the greatest reward you get from the work that you do? There are probably two that are really, really the greatest. Mm-hmm. And the first is that thrill of um, working with nature to grow plants mm-hmm. and watching what nature does. I, I just, I cannot, <laughs> I can't describe how I feel every spring when I put seeds in the ground and they come up. Yeah. You know, that is just a miracle to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at that little seed and I, I know all the scientific, you know, germination and the seed coat and right. swelling and all that. <laughs> but to watch it actually happen mm-hmm. is just a miracle that thrills me. Every time I see it, maybe uh-huh. not every time, but you know, it, I still yeah. get it. Oh yeah, every, uh, over and over, over and over, and that keeps me going mm-hmm. on that. And then also the second is that satisfaction and um, the connection of working with people with like values. Oh yes, 
you know, it just kind of supports you, it grounds you, and keeps you steady. Mm-hmm. And, of course, also opens up all kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. As they come up with great ideas, so many projects on the farm have been the result of somebody saying, well, why don't you ever, why don't you do this? Mm. And I said, well, why don't we? Yeah, and exactly. Sometimes, sometimes I say, well, well, you get it all together and I'll support you. Right. And other times, you know, we go after it and work on it. Do you know, are you familiar with the Wolfing program? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's an acronym that's, for our listeners, it's an acronym that stands for, uh, what I say it stands for is Willing Workers on Organic Farms. <laughs> and basically it's a, it's a program where generally younger people, not always, but generally younger people travel around the world in exchange for room and board, they work on your farm. Have you had woofers Join you? I have had I've had an unofficial wolfer, uh-huh. had somebody who had been wolfing, and she just wanted to spend a week in the North Georgia mountains. And oh, she called nice. me, and from Belgium, she was from Belgium. Oh, she nice. was in Florida, and she came and worked a week, and she was the most delightful thing. We I know, had. isn't that wonderful? I have had people literally from all over the world come and stay with me here at the Urban Farm, and one of the things that I suggest that they do is they leave some kind of project behind. Uh-huh. That can be their project. So, uh-huh. you know, here I am 15 years later, and Eddie did a project here, and it's a really cool project, and it still lives here, and Eddie did it. Uh-huh. So, that's, yeah. yeah, that's one of the things I invite woofers to do when they come and visit here at the Urban Farm is to, you know, take on a signature project that, that leaves a legacy behind for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. wonderful. So, I'm all about education. I have to know, is there one book that has been most influential in this gardening process for you? Well, there are, qu- there are quite a few that are technical and that have helped me with a farm, mm-hmm. but the inspirational book was Animal Vegetable Miracle by oh. Barbara Kingsolver. <laughs> and it was yeah. just so fun to read. And it, it was, I was already farming, but it was kind of near the early parts of my farming right and it just to get to realize that there were people out there who really cared yeah and they really cared mm-hmm. and um it was i don't know i've recommended it to a lot of people it's oh. inspirational to me oh yeah yeah and right now i'm kind of thinking maybe i'm about ready to do that myself to, oh. to take on eating locally for a year uh-huh. that's what she that's what the that's book what is she, about yeah, exactly and um you define it how you want to, but it's so much easier now than when she did it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much more local food about. Oh around. yeah. Uh, it would have been a little difficult for me when she, at that time when I first read it because there was just not that much going on in Georgia. Right. But now is there's a lot. I can even get milk and um, cheese and all that sort of right. stuff now at, at the local farmers market. Right. Yeah. Right. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I pay attention to what they eat. Hmm. Um, just pay attention to what you eat. Look at what it is. Look at where it came from. Look at how it makes you feel. And reach out there and try to do something to get some really fresh local food. Mm-hmm. And then take that next step and try to grow something. <laughs> Just try to grow, because see, it might just hook you in. Yeah. Yeah, I suspect it will absolutely hook them in. Especially if you try sun gold tomatoes. Oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely. 
they're wonderful absolutely they're well wonderful. thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today Lynn it's been a treat chatting with you and your experience around urban farming well I, I've just enjoyed it so much thank uh, you absolutely so how can our listeners get a hold of you we have a website www.canecreekfarm.net uh-huh. C-A-N-E canecreekfarm.net perfect Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.